It's time now for Illinois Innovators, spotlighting the leaders in research, technology, and entrepreneurship from the engineering at Illinois community. Welcome to another edition of Illinois Innovators. I'm your host, Mike Kuhn. Continued advances in various fabrication processes and technologies have led to the rapid developments in both top-down and bottom-up approaches to nanomanufacturing. The nanomanufacturing node at the University of Illinois presented its first two-day workshop in late February, focusing on data science enabled advances in nanomanufacturing and nanotechnology to explore future opportunities in nanomanufacturing. The director of the nanomanufacturing node, Kamani Toussaint, joins us. He's an associate professor in the departments of mechanical science and engineering and bioengineering and an affiliate faculty in the departments of electrical and computer engineering, as well as the Beckman Institute for Advanced Science and Technology. Kamani Toussaint, welcome to the program. Thank you, Michael. So nanomanufacturing, a relatively new approach. Can you just take us through what we mean by nanomanufacturing? Sure. Um, what we want to think about when we talk about nanomanufacturing is being able to uh, fabricate structures that whose building blocks are at the nanoscale, you know, 10 to the minus 9 uh, meters, are at the nanoscale, and that when you put these structures together, uh, you would have some property that is emergent that would otherwise be difficult to manifest, uh, if not by going by way of nano building blocks. It might be some thermal property, it might be some mechanical property, it might be an electrical property, or it might be a combination of properties. And when we talk about manufacturing these structures rather than just fabricating them, then we're uh, automatically implying that they are highly reproducible and there is a cost component to this. So not only can you reproduce these structures, um, and this is what I refer to as a nano-enabled product, but you can uh, reproduce them um, at scale. Right, and there's a, there's a temporal component to that as well as a spatial component, right? So you want to be able to repeatedly uh, make uh, uh, a product that has these nano building blocks, and ideally you would like to be able to do it in a way that is cost efficient. Cost could be time and or money, right? So that's uh, the, the nano manufacturing umbrella in terms of what we typically refer to. So there is, uh, there has to be technology behind it. That's Anything right. that's, uh, you have, the, the, you have the, the technology and then you commercialize it into what you call manufacturing. So talk a little about what technology, uh, you, you alluded to it a little bit, but I, I want you to go into sure. a little bit more of a detail sure. about the technology behind, uh, behind this. So um, there are a variety of um, um, uh, products that are uh, based on this idea of making things through various processes uh, that uh, have critical dimensions that are on the nanoscale. Um, one, uh, I'll, I'll step back for a moment. One, one thing to uh, uh, note about nanomanufacturing is that not every industry advertises that it does nanomanufacturing. So if you take, as an example, the semiconductor industry, who's driven by uh, ostensibly, let's say, Moore's Law, whereby uh, the goal there is to make uh, s uh, smaller and smaller, smarter and smarter 
chips, uh, integrated circuits, um, on a platform. And that platform will go from something that may have started off as being the size of a large table to something that can fit into your pocket, right? Um, at some level, um, the fabrication of the integrated circuits requires being able to achieve dimensions that are hundreds of nanometers and below. And that process, which may involve certain complex lithographic processes, um, combinations with ion beam processes, are things that the lead in semiconductor companies have honed and perfected. Um, most of these companies don't refer to themselves as nanomanufacturers, mm -hmm. but they engage in processes that require um, some reasonable amount of process control so that they can reproduce these uh, chips, these integrated circuits, these devices uh, in a fairly reliable way. And it's a billion dollar industry, so they don't always, as a matter of fact, they generally don't advertise uh, exactly what they do to achieve mm -hmm. these process controls. If you look at this, from a different community's perspective, you take, for example, people who are in chemistry, and they may uh, take a, 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 don't mean to make this sound crass, but they may take a, a beaker and uh, whip up a batch uh, via this process of chemical synthesis uh, to create uh, nanocolloidal structures. And they may be uh, semiconductor structures of some sort, Right, they might be uh, just purely metallic structures of other uh, sorts. So you can think of like gold nanorods, or you might think of titanium dioxide uh, uh, spheres, whose properties, optical properties or thermal properties, can be very uh, interesting. And now, when they're uh, synthesizing these batch of uh, uh, colloidal structures, they uh, have a certain process yield. And they would like to have that yield be high if, they s if that's something that they want to commercialize. And there are companies, you know, companies in Illinois that actually sell things like this commercially um, because they figured out how to do it in a fairly reliable way. They often don't use the term manufacturer, mm -hmm. right? So the interesting thing about nanomanufacturing is that it, uh, at least from my observations, my perspectives, my what I've learned is that um, it's not always um, a community that's readily self-identified. There are communities of folks, of course, who self-identify as nanomanufacturing people. Uh, but there are many who engage and use many of the same tools uh, that don't use that label. So in other words, this may have been going on for several years. They just haven't identified themselves as nanomanufacturing. That's correct. That's correct. So the, the, the key part here in terms of when we, when we talk about manufacturing is the scaling up issue, right? So it's one thing, because a lot of this has traditionally been driven by academics, uh, so it's one thing to do to fabricate or to synthesize or um, make structures in your lab or at your university. Um, and being able to test those structures and um, uh, publish a paper on it. It's, a, it's another thing to be talk about being able to actually uh, have a company or to um, uh, 
have some products that have been uh, reproduced via this process that maybe you've helped to contribute or that has been well established um, because a lot goes into it. There, there are materials cost. Uh, there's an issue of how much trial and error one can invoke uh, or one may be able to even tolerate uh, to achieve that end goal because they have milestones that have to be met. Uh, on a regular and timely basis. Uh, so once manufacturing comes into the picture and you go away from just fabricating, um, there's a lot more the, uh, control that needs to be put there. Well, where might we see these products from a consumer standpoint? You know, sure. uh, you know where, where, where will we see these in the marketplace sure. eventually where this will sure. play into it? So, so some, uh, some of this is already out there. Right. So aside from the semiconductor industry and the chips, right, and the semiconductor uh, companies talk about uh, achieving the seven nanometer node and even going below that uh, for uh, their uh, integrated circuits. But cosmetics, uh, the people in cosmetics, and there, you know, this is again something that's driven largely by the chemistry industry would would have um, uh, creams and coatings that can be applied to uh, skin that have particles that are on the nanoscale, mm -hmm. for example. And they may be uh, particles that are designed to block out ultraviolet rays, for instance. Um, there are uh, scenarios whereby people have done some um, application of this for solar in terms of thinking about paints that can be applied on uh, buildings, on roofs, that would also uh, smartly if you will, I'm using the word smartly in quotes here, um, harness sun's rays to um, uh, mitigate heat uh, under those circumstances. So there is some application of that. What we would like to be able to do, what we'd like to be able to say is that we would like to be able to make bridges and cars and uh, uh, lots of a variety of materials whereby the constituent building blocks, which may be nano-derived, um, are pretty resilient to a variety of weather conditions. Mm -hmm. right? And we would like for it to be lightweight, for instance. And we would like for it to be done in a cheap way, uh, as another uh, case. So nano is creeping into a variety of sectors, from the automobile industry, all the way, of course, to uh, uh, things that have to do with uh, s uh, smart devices. Um, and even, of course, uh, the biosphere. Uh, there's also quite a bit of healthy nano there as well. Right. So, you know, in, in, our, in the academic world, we talk a lot about interdisciplinary, yes. but mm -hmm. there's no question that nano manufacturing doesn't exist without the collaboration among a multitude of disciplines. Just talk about the number of uh, hands or whatever uh, pieces that, that are involved in, in coming up with so these solutions. Oh, absolutely. Um, it, so there, there are a couple of areas where I, I normally tell students when they're, you know, we're having conversations with, about what they may want to do in life uh, and for their future careers about uh, how interdisciplinary uh, uh, certain fields are. You know, uh, the biosciences is quickly becoming interdisciplinary. Uh, nanosciences uh, have been inter interdisciplinary uh, for quite some time. Uh, it, it all is a, m a matter of the, the lens through which one may want to look at and, and specialize. So, um, you know, I, my background is in optics, right? So when I look at nano 
particles and we make nano antennas in my lab, um, I'm looking at these structures for their optical properties. How do they control light? How do they um, modify optical forces, for instance, right? Someone else who uh, may be uh, more of a traditional uh, uh, mechanical engineer, they may look at these structures for their thermal properties, right? Or they may look for them, look at them in, ter in terms of the types of um, uh, stress stresses they may be able to uh, mitigate uh, simply because of their geometric form. Um, when you're talking about making a uh, end product that has some functionality, in the end, you know, the, from the perspective of the design space, uh, it would require more often than not expertise across a variety of disciplines. There is the actual design, right, which may you might be designing to, let's say, harvest sunlight. Then, then there's the actual materials construction. Uh, there may be some novel materials um, uh, approaches that has to go into being able to do that. There is um, the electrical engineering aspects of things, whereby uh, how to um, uh, judiciously um, handle charge is something that would have to be uh, studied. Right? Uh, there are aspects that even requires just looking at it from a systems engineering point of view. Mm -hmm. And the nanotechnology field that, in my opinion, is part of the attraction, part of the benefits, because in order to make these structures, in order to be able to enable something that has some uh, value, some functionality, uh, requires you being able to have that conversation with other experts in these other fields who may tell you what types of chemistries one really needs to think about. If we're going to deploy our product in the Arizona, uh, uh, in Arizona or in Nevada, you know, for let's say harvest and sunlight, um, uh, what types of um, film coatings are necessary to be able to protect it, right? So it's, it's something that is intrinsically um, uh, uh, interdisciplinary. I would add the other aspect of this that makes it quite interesting is that when we look at you know something like light or electromagnetic properties uh, for some material like let's say gold, uh, we pretty much from an everyday observation would say that we know how gold responds to light. You know, it has a certain color, a certain brightness associated with it. But then now you take that piece of gold and you keep breaking it down into smaller, 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 smaller pieces till it reaches the nanoscale. So now we say, okay, well, what, how is light going to interact with it? Well, it's going to depend on the actual size and the shape of the structure as, as well as certain properties of the light. And you say the same thing now when you start to think about the thermal properties. You say the same thing now when you start to think about, in general, the electrical properties. And that's what makes it so attractive because now you're toolbox becomes richer and knowing how to combine those components in your toolbox to get something um, more emergent out of it that would be useful that's where now uh, the fun happens so in research on nano manufacturing they list um, you know the bottom up top down approaches that uh, was one of the things that you discussed at uh, at the workshop 
talk about the differences and and uh, what do we mean by uh, so by those? Sure. Uh, so I'll say for a, for for a moment, um, with regards to the workshop, um, uh, we didn't necessarily, and part of the goals here, and this this may have been confused, was not to necessarily emphasize. Um, particular approaches or processes relative to the other processes. Now, I'll talk more about the workshop in, in a few moments, but uh, the whole thing about top-down and bottom-up uh, goes to sort of these differences partly in fields uh, and tool sets that are available to fields that I so subtly alluded to, right? So, for example, for the chemist, or at least for some chemists, when they want to uh, synthesize you know, a batch of gold nano rods or nano uh, diamonds or something like that. Uh, what happens there is you are using the correct combinations of, of uh, solvents and essentially chemicals that are mixed together to uh, under certain reactions to give a batch. But the other aspect of this, uh, so you can think about this from the perspective of uh, taking small pieces and having those pieces come together under controlled ways to create a larger form, right? So you're starting from the bottom and you're working your way up. But you can think of it the other way around where you have a large structure and now let's say something the engineers might do um, is let's say you may take an energetic beam process and you start removing material Right, and so you start to remove material in a smart way until you get down to um, the right nano structures that you want to make. Each one has its own trade-offs. Right, some would argue that for some of the things that we do in engineering, from some of these approaches, we have more uh, uh, repeatability, and a little bit more control and placement, for example. Um, and uh, repeatability in terms of the ge geometric features that we can achieve. Uh, in the other case, one may argue that you can achieve dimensions that typically would be harder to do when you're working from the bottom up um, using the, the available tool sets. So there are trade-offs uh, with regards to that. Now, if I can yeah. jump ahead, um, when, we're, when we had this workshop, um, the a question that one may ask is, you know, really, um, where is nano manufacturing and how ubiquitous is nano manufacturing? Uh, what are what are the things that limit nano manufacturing from being completely widespread? And um, our observations have been that, uh, uh, to put it in a, in a, in a simple phrase, uh, process control. Right, so when you're making some of these widgets uh, by whatever process, you know, electron beam fabrication process, for example, or some other type of uh, lithographic process or some type of chemistry-driven process, um, the um, uh, process, many of these processes are invariably affected by uh, the environment temperature, uh, humidity, um, how energetic a beam might be, uh, the location of the probe that you're using, the, the beam that you're using to, to, to make that structure. And what happens is that um, often from an academic perspective, we may um, hone a recipe 
so that we uh, can get some functionality out of it and we publish our results without necessarily talking about all the things and trials and errors that went into making that particular recipe. That doesn't help the case for manufacturing. And so our uh, goal with this workshop was to look at what's becoming more popular uh, now, um, but it's very much rooted in some real science, uh, this area of um, data and uh, application of certain tools to manipulate data in order to move nanomanufacturing to an area where one could say, yes, there's strong reproducibility. The folks in the data, data infrastructure, data science community, it's a different community uh, from the people who are in the nano uh, community. And our particular focus, of course, is nanomanufacturing. So when we pulled together this, um, this workshop, we were thinking along three general theme areas. One is this idea of what are the challenges and what are the opportunities in uh, data uh, or the data challenges and opportunities in nanomanufacturing. The other one uh, theme was to understand what the existing data infrastructure looks like. And the third one was to basically get a sense of uh, where things like high-performance computing and machine intelligence can come in. And so when we assembled uh, colleagues from these two communities, we had each community kind of just talking about uh, where they are in their particular um, uh, area. So in particular for the data science folks, telling us, okay, well, what is it? You know, wh what, what are, how, have, how has data science been successful? Uh, some people have already started to apply it to nano and micro. How have they applied it? What type of infrastructure, what type of tools? Do they have to develop new tools? To, to be able to apply to these you know, very interesting problems. For the people who are involved in fabrication of these nanostructures, what are the challenges? What do you do with the data once you figure out uh, how to make something? Right? More often than not, the data is sitting on our computers. And occasionally, if we consider it to be bad data, we just get rid of it, mm -hmm. right? And so it turns out there's much room for opportunities there for both communities to collaborate and create an infrastructure that would allow all this rich data that is gathered in uh, fabrication of nanostructures to be smartly used. Okay. Right? And that's what we explored uh, for the workshop. So I want to kind of back up a little bit and talk a little bit about the node itself. Sure. Um, and so who's involved? Uh, uh, obviously, several uh, universities are involved. And uh, you, I think you made the case for why we need the collaboration. But I'll let you just talk a little about the node itself and who's involved and, and sure. what are some of the roles. Sure. So uh, the nanomanufacturing node is a, an NSF-funded effort. It, belo it belongs to and is part of this larger network for computational uh, nanotechnology, or the NCN. Uh, which came about, you know, well over, I think, about 15 years or so. Um, and the National Science Foundation's um, aim in even being able to c 
created NCN was that um, they realized they wanted to make um, nanoscience and ostensibly nanotechnology uh, more impactful to the larger society and something that's much more realizable. And they thought that uh, the use of computation could help accelerate that. And so they created this task of having researchers develop software tools that anyone in the field could use to help facilitate that process. So um, this uh, created uh, a cyber platform that is hosted at Purdue uh, University called the Nano Hub, um, also the uh, NCNCP or cyber platform, whereby this platform takes in all these different contributions of software tools uh, that would facilitate some aspect of some nanotechnology area um, and be broadly and freely disseminated to the general public. And um, from where it is today, they basically um, uh, decided to have uh, some spe specialized areas. So one of them was nano as it pertains to the biological sciences and so there will be a node that plugs into the cyber platform that looks just at that another was nano as it applies to electronics and there will be a node that ju looks just like that and another was nano as it applies to manufacturing and um, they had never funded it and so ours in 2017 became the first ever funded node uh, of this cyber platform that looks at um, developing software tools to capture a process. So um, a process in, in my field in optics, uh, there's uh, many people who work in the area of meta surfaces, uh, metamaterials generically, but meta surfaces uh, and fabricate uh, some very interesting flat optical components with nanoscale building blocks to reshape light. And the workhorse in that whole process is electron beam lithography. We all use it. Mm -hmm. um, but many would argue that's not exactly um, uh, you know, the most manufac manufacturing friendly process. Um, well, nonetheless, it's a process that requires some trial and error. Right when you go in and make something in the clean room, you know most of the time you'll get something close to what you want, but it's not going to be with a hundred percent yield. If I make these nano antenna structures, they have a certain gap distance of twenty nanometers. Most of the antennas will have twenty nanometers, but there'll be th some with thirty nanometers, you know, some with thirty-five nanometers. Well, it would be great if there is a uh, software that can capture in some model the, the actual physics of what happens when that electron beam interacts with the material. So that as an experimenter, I don't have to send in a graduate student or postdoc and have them loop around many different trials to, until they arrive at a recipe that works. Rather, they can sit there and input their parameters into the software, and the software would give them a reasonable estimate of what to expect. So it will cut down that parameter space in principle greatly. Um, that's the task of our node. The task of our node is to identify processes that we think are significant in the nanomanufacturing space and develop 
these models and encapsulate them in these simulation tools that would be posted or hosted and on the nano hub for anyone to use. So how excited are the data scientists to be able to work with you? Because this is, uh, they don't, na haven't naturally worked together before. I'm sure that there's, there are places where they are, but you're relying on the data sciences to come up with the software that you're talking about. And so you have to be able to speak each other's language. Well, so here's the interesting thing. And what we learned from this workshop, right? Um, I, I think it's safe to say that that merger between data science and nanomanufacturing doesn't really exist yet. You have select researchers who are doing it, but it doesn't really exist. But the people who are in data infrastructure and data science, they're from the workshop, they're ex incredibly excited. But also on the other side of the aisle, the, the folks in the nano uh, manufacturing space are also excited because now we're starting to think about data in a different way from what we've traditionally done. And so now uh, what we're trying to do is actually we're working trying to put together a position paper on talking about where the opportunities are here and what that framework should look like for collaboration so that there is a common language. The, the data science folks in data science has that whole area now has seeped into many different sectors of society, right? What well, many of us are familiar with, uh, with it when we talk about Google searches. But way beyond that, you know, you have here now an opportunity where the people in nanomanufacturing, simply because of the nature of the processes, and it's well over 150 different uh, processes, uh, there's lots of data being collected, right? The trick now is figuring out what to do with that data. Can the, can the data for some beam process be um, informative to a different type of beam process um, in terms of interacting with a particular type of material? Well, we need a framework to be constructed to allow us to figure out how these two data sets or these, these two communities or these two islands should be talking. And we need to be able to, yes, create some common standards, more so than language, but some standards as to how that data should be stored and curated and, and searched, right? And that's what we were discussing and trying to um, flesh out at that workshop. And we hope to have be able to have actually many more subsequent workshops. So I know at the end you wanted to have a position paper. Yes. Uh, did that happen? And if so, you okay? We are indeed working on it. So um, uh, it, we have enough, we think, uh, of very very useful feedback from workshop attendees, um, and very healthy and vibrant discussions uh, discussions from these attendees to put together now um, this paper. And so now it's just an issue of uh, getting it out there. And once we do, we plan on posting it on our website and just sort of broadly disseminating it because we think it's an opportunity. So we're in an academic institution. Yes. And so this seems to me like this is a whole new branch of, uh, of job and major. Uh, if, if I am going to college and I'm at all interested in this, which is very, it's very, it is very interesting, what, what, what are we telling uh, students, what what should you major? What what you know? Should you take a part of this and part of that? And are are will there be new majors, new fields that will come out of this? So uh, my 
my uh, feeling on this is that uh, the uh, major research universities are already starting to think about this. Um, here at Illinois, there are um, activities and initiatives that have recently been launched. Uh, so there's a new uh, data, big data science initiative through uh, the NCSA, whereby um, there is recognition that um, from a pedagogical point of view, um, as well as from just from a researcher's point of view, that th we have to put in some frameworks now that to accommodate where things are in society with this new emergent area of data science, for instance. Uh, sometimes this goes hand in hand uh, in terms of you'll hear buzz about artificial intelligence or machine learning um, because that may essentially be uh, an aspect of data science, uh, an additional tool that is harnessed. Uh, but uh, when we are talking about this manufacturing space, especially nanomanufacturing, we are exactly thinking about what types of courses can be um, developed that would um, highlight the skill sets that are necessary for people to sort of push this field beyond even where it is today. And those courses uh, undoubtedly are um, highly interdisciplinary because there is a certain amount of physics that has to be taught with this. Of course, engineering goes uh, hand in hand, but also even statistics and um, uh, understanding of um, uh, certain types of programming languages. Um, these are all things that orbit now, these general areas that have to be synthesized into courses. So I know Illinois is taking a big lead in this, but I think that um, uh, there is recognition, and at least from the major research universities, that this is something that is here to stay and that can really change our lives for the better, uh, that is uh, necessary to advance the courses to be able to do that. Now obviously when you're talking manufacturing, you're looking at something that's mass produced. That's and, right. and that's really one of the challenges that's you're right. looking at is that we, you can make products, but how do you make products at scale? And I'm sure that that's, you know, that's a big reason um, you know why this note exists. That's, that's exactly correct. So the NSF is very much interested in us being us being our node, being able to articulate um, uh, what our industries need with regards to this um, the software tool development to capture these processes. Uh, the challenge here is that industry often develop their own proprietary software mm -hmm. and they keep it in house, right? So we've been working on ways of finding areas of commonality. Uh, for us to collaborate. Uh, we have uh, something that we've started with a local company where we are interacting with them to develop some models. But we would like to be able to, of course, take that to um, uh, more uh, companies and figure out ways in which uh, we may be able to contribute something that will be of their interest and something that hopefully that the company can also give us back that we can share with the broader society. Right. So the idea is can we learn from each other's mistakes yeah, as well as each other's successes, uh, to, to move this overall area of nanomanufacturing uh, forward. Mm -hmm. But it is a challenge to get in companies because, like you said, they want to keep this proprietary for them because that's their competitive advantage, that's and yet right. you're trying to advance a, uh, a whole new science that's, that's, right. that's 
beneficial to everybody. That's right. So, so, and, and, and I want to, and I want to highlight here um, this this key point because it kind of goes back to your original question about you know sort of where's what is nano manufacturing and where is it? You know, there there have been companies engaged in nano manufacturing for quite some time. Um, they don't necessarily call themselves nano manufacturing folks, right? Mm -hmm. um, the um, key to manufacturing here is that there there has to be uh, this uh, um, recognition that a framework has to be constructed that would allow any of these choice processes to make things have some controls, right? The um, variance in these processes has to be well understood, right? What are the sensitivities to temperature? What are the sensitivities to the environment? Mm -hmm. That has to be understood. What types of interactions does one have at nanoscales that can, that can affect how things get put together? That has to be understood. Mm -hmm. You know, there is an economic component to all of this that, uh, quite frankly, typically for an engineering perspective, we tend not to focus too much on, on that, but, that it, that it, but it is part of the conversation where industry does pay attention to it. Industry does care about these exact same questions, right? So our challenge is um, can we find some common ground where industry is willing to even share their problems mm -hmm. with us mm -hmm. so that we can at least speculate on some solutions that we may be able to help them with in this particular space. Um, and we think we can get there. We have some ideas on how to do that. Well, I think one from a just a general benefit uh, is the infrastructure yes. because uh, infrastructure uh, is, is a big, uh, big problem uh, all across, especially in the country. So as we're repairing and making bridges and roadways and anything like that, nano manufacturing, the nano scale is going to be key in terms of uh, being able to build better bridges and roads and, and that sort of thing. So, uh, so it's interesting, right? One of the things that at least we found from this note is that th there is a part of this that's also about education, right? Um, it's, I wouldn't say it's not nece necessarily selling nano, but it's understanding where nano comes in. Mm -hmm. Right, you know, not everything has to be nano, but the nanoscience, nanotechnology does seem to have value. Now, the challenge is as you start to go smaller, things are harder. They're harder to make. Um, they're more sensitive in terms of, uh, like I mentioned earlier, the fabrication processes. Um, the argument has been for for a variety of areas that yes, you can make stronger bridges, you can make better roads, you can make um, cars that may be more scratch resistant, you can make faster electronics, um, light harvesting materials that are more efficient by incorporating these nano scale building blocks, but they're complex problems. And so there's always the fundamental science component, you're just trying to understand that and try to move that forward towards something that's uh, more applied, for instance. There is the component of, from an education point, general education point of view, uh, that we are also thinking about of, well, why do you care about nanomanufacturing? You know, what are some ways in which it impacts your life, right? right? 
And then there's the, the other component is, well, how do you actually make this in a way that's sustainable? And that's where the economic part comes in. And so we do think that, uh, yes, there's a role in infrastructure, hands down, for sure. Um, but even to be able to cross that bridge, right, you know, literally, <laughs> uh, uh, one, one should be thinking about um, being able to uh, make something a bit more pedestrian uh, in a repeatable way. And uh, I'll give you a, 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 a simple example, something that myself and uh, a colleague of mine, Shen Wei Shao, are currently looking into. And he's Shen Wei Shao is a really a, a data science plus traditional manufacturing person um, is looking at uh, a type of 3D printing. It's called is based on the physics of two photon uh, lithography. And this type of 3D printing is based, and this instrument that we're working with currently is an MRL, is not um, uh, the conventional in the sense that the scales of which you can write structures is on a nanoscale, hundreds of nanometers. The interesting thing, though, is that it's extremely sensitive. Ex there are challenges in reproducing uh, that writing um, consistently, and it's also de dependent on the particular design and structure that you're trying to write, right? So uh, a simple, and I'm again saying that in quotes, uh, problem here would be to take something like that, and which is what we're exactly what we're working on now, and figure out um, how to establish process control there. You know, can you design experiments that give you some sense of where you will get errors in your design when you're trying to fabricate using this type of 3D printing structure, uh, uh, a platform. And can you make now an output printed structure that compensates for all of these errors 90% um, of the time, right? Mm -hmm. So that's a step in the direction we want to be able to take. Now the question then is that, well, can we take whatever framework we are trying to establish and generalize that? So that it doesn't matter that it's necessarily 3D printing. It could be synthesizing certain types of 2D materials, um, which is something that researchers uh, like Sam Tofik here in Mechanical, Elif Erdekin are working on in our node that um, uh, is quite important, actually, whereby they're, 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 they're looking at being able to create 2D materials in a reliable robust way that is not simply ad hoc and uh, something that uh, lots of other researchers would actually benefit from. And so they're creating a suite of tools mm -hmm. along this space, uh, so-called graphene type uh, 2D materials to be, able to, uh, to be able to do that, right? So for sure, um, uh, uh, infrastructure is a thing that is something that you would uh, talk about to the broader community because that hits home, right? But starting off with some of the technologies that we have currently and that we are currently doing in our labs, some of the experiments we're currently doing in our labs, can we make these processes reliable? Mm -hmm. That's a huge step in the, wrong, in the right direction if we can do that. Well, I want to wrap up this way. Uh, obviously, people... Uh, 
I've had some, there's a lot of interesting things we've talked about over the last 45 minutes or so, but uh, where, where, where do the people go to get more information? How do they follow the, uh, the things that are happening, the advances? Uh, where would you recommend that they go to, to, to learn more and to, and to follow it? Because I would think this would be a fast-moving um, you know, uh, field. There's a lot of people that are interested in. Uh, well, yeah, uh, a shameless plug here. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, first, uh, people can go to our uh, uh, website, uh, the Nano Manufacturer Node. Uh, you can just Google that, and it'll come up. Um, the larger Nano Hub um, is actually quite an interactive. And that's the one at Purdue. That's the one at Purdue. Um, but you know, we our presence is on there. Um, the Nano Bio Nodes presence is on there as well. Um, that's another big push. Um, there are other resources that we also point to on our website to for people to find out and learn more about nano manufacturing. So I do think it's a really good point to start off with. Um, the main thing here is that there is um, opportunity now that nano and again nano manufacturing does not necessarily have to be something that's esoteric lots of people can get into it so one can literally if they're curious you know about you know focus ion beam you know do a google search go onto a youtube and watch some educational primer to get themselves uh, um, introduced, mm -hmm. you know, to what that's about, top down and bottom up, like we talk about. You know, there's lots of stuff on that material, on, on that those topics that one can learn about um, just from YouTube. Uh, so it's very different now from when I was in graduate school, where it came down to well, you have to read this, you have to be in academia and read this paper to even get introduced to this. But some of this is also becoming quite popularized, Scientific American occasionally carries articles that introduces people to some of these key concepts. But I would say start off with our website, uh, look at the Nano Hub at Purdue, um, and you'll find links to additional material. Amadi Toussaint, thanks for joining us. Thank you very much, Michael. This is uh, Mike Kuhn. This has been another edition of Illinois Innovators. Thanks for listening. Illinois Innovators is a production of Engineering at Illinois. All rights reserved. We invite you to subscribe to the podcast through iTunes or SoundCloud by searching Engineering at Illinois. We hope you'll help grow our corporate listeners by leaving a favorable rating on iTunes.